Today is Tuesday, April 11th, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. President Biden reveals his 2024 plans with a caveat, though. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast. We're bringing news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Leave a rating. You can share it with a friend if you feel so inclined. You can email us, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Appreciate you chiming in, sharing your thoughts. And we appreciate you being with us here each and every weekday morning at 7 a.m. We're getting through the news of the Cray. And once again, the mighty triumvirate is back. Trey, Billy, myself. What's up, guys? Mini Monday. How y'all doing? I'm, I'm living the dream. <laughs> you know, I always think it's, it's like a, a, a surprise every day. Are you going to get three people on the podcast or just two? You never know. So that's why you have to listen and subscribe. Who's overslept? Who hasn't? Find out tomorrow (laughs) on tomorrow's exciting episode of the Quick Start Podcast. (laughs) All right. So what do we got coming up on the podcast today? What story are you guys hitting up? We're going to be talking about this homeless woman out in Maine who really became a superhero for a little boy whose bike was stolen. It's a pretty cool story. Yeah, it goes to show you, it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. You can always do something to uplift somebody else. Great story there. Looking forward to the details. On that, also talking about uh, Easter and a conversation with a pastor who tackles some of the toughest questions about Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. That's coming up on the main thing. But first, we're going to get through the news here in 90 seconds. A gunman stormed into a bank in Louisville, Kentucky yesterday, killing four, wounding eight, including a police officer who was hospitalized and in critical condition. Officers responded within three minutes to reports of a shooting. The husband of one of the bank workers told local media there that he got a call from his wife. She was inside the vault, but uh, police were already on the way. Governor Andy Bashir also spoke to the media, saying he knew at least two of the people shot in the attack. He said, I have a close friend that didn't make it today. I have another close friend who, who didn't either. And one who's at the hospital that I hope is going to make it through. Stay tuned to CBNnews.com for more updates on that story. And President Biden said yesterday he intends to run for re-election in 2024, but he's not ready to formally announce it yet. He told Al Roker this on the Today Show yesterday, joking that he had still four, quote, maybe five more White House Easter egg rolls in him. Biden's 80 years old. To put that in perspective, Ronald Reagan was 77 when his second term Ended. If Biden were to run and be reelected, his second term would end when he was 86 years old. And the West Coast city of Portland, long known for being weird and counterculture, is now turning into a city that's become dangerous and unlivable. CBN's Dale Hurd was there. He has an incredible story. You can check out the full story with the link in the description of this podcast episode. And you can always head over to CBNnews.com for more of today's top headlines. A lot going on there, guys. Uh, first of all, Dale's report on Portland. I mean, remember, Portland was sort of at the center of this movement to kind of boot the police out. And now crime has come in and the people are just so frustrated. So many of them are just leaving. And Dale's Dale's whole, I encourage you to go watch the whole thing. We got the link in the description. It's It's remarkable and it's very sad. Well, it's sad and, you know, it's like... All of this is so frustrating because while people are making these calls to defund the police and going after the police, nobody's thinking, what's the end result of this? And it's really sad that with not much time passing, 
you start to see what the end result of that can really look like. And it's just, it's unfortunate for homeowners, residents, and really just everybody that this destroys cities and locations. Mm. I mean, it's similar to what's happened in like San Francisco and in Los Angeles. Yeah. We've seen so many people over the last, since COVID, so I guess two to three years, all of these people leaving California and not just because of the restrictions, but because of their property values, right? I mean, they're Dave Rubin. He's a kind of conservative YouTuber guy. A lot of people, a lot of our listeners, I'm sure will know who he is. He left Florida. I mean, he left California and moved to Florida mm-hmm. for that reason. He's like, I owned a house in LA, but my property value is just going down and down and down every year because police are refusing to police the community. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I saw a video guy, you mentioned San Francisco. I just saw that. I don't know if you guys saw this one over the weekend, a woman who the video description said was a crack addict who's smoking crack all day, gave birth to a baby on the street. And there's video of the baby wrapped in a blanket on the sidewalk from this mom who is clearly under the influence of some drug. And it's just uh, it's heartbreaking. You know, a lot of the, I mean, it's, look, you, nobody's really to blame, but the, the individuals themselves who are out there addicted to these drugs that have put themselves in these positions and then keep doing this to themselves and then get further and further addicted. But then you see cities that they want to try to help, but then they create these things like, hey, clean needle policies. Come on in, get your clean needles and shoot your drugs up. I mean, they're it's like they're almost encouraging it. In Dale's report, there's one moment where he talks about how the city is putting out all these tents and other cities are giving homeless people bus tickets to go to (laughs) Portland and get all the, whatever stuff the government's giving out there. So it's like, they're encouraging all these homeless people with this stuff. And, you know, I I understand the good intentions of it. You know, you start out trying to help, but at what point do you realize this isn't working? Yeah, no, and I think this has been going on for for a really long time. And the and the further we move away from personal responsibility, and I'm not trying to oversimplify this because it is complicated right. no, with addiction yeah. and mental issues and, and all sure. that. But the further we move away from that kind of, that kind of culture and towards a culture of the self, the more we are going to descend into this sort of thing. And so I'm not shocked that we're seeing it. I think you know the, the shocking thing to me is that people keep repeating these insane things over and over again, expecting some other result. And yet we just have the same result and we're watching cities and, and other locations really just be denigrated and, and destroyed by it. And, and look, beyond that, people's lives being destroyed. Yeah. And, and I think we and we miss the fact that everyone's at government. So we got the government has to come up with this policy and that policy. And yeah, governments can help. But as Christians, we know what really transforms a life. It's the power of the gospel. It's the power of the truth of the gospel that will really lift someone up and realize their worth because there's so many underlying issues as to why somebody would continually take drugs. There's there's all that pain that they're covering up. There's that lostness that they don't understand, you know, what the purpose of life is because there there's no deeper meaning when you remove God from the equation and people struggle with that. There's a whole host of issues that it could be and we know the truth of the gospel can transform lives, but oftentimes that's the thing that the government pushes out of the way. Yeah, no I agree with that 100% and I also think with cities 
putting in these policies, whether it's uh, these d- drug-friendly policies, I yeah. guess you could say, or it's um, you know, de- you know removing police from communities mm-hmm. or you know, kind of removing their power to actually police communities, what happens is people end up moving into more red states, right? And yeah. we end up being even more siloed from one another than we already are. And we've got these cities that are just you know, burning to the ground or being just completely destroyed from the inside out. And then everybody's moving into to other areas, uh, and and it just is going to create. We already live in kind of two countries, it seems politically, but it seems like geographically now we're going to create these two country, this two country phenomenon, which can't be good for us as a society of fifty states. Yeah, no, you're right, hundred percent. And um, yeah, that's another thing that we as Christians that there are so many Christian charities that are trying to help the homeless, and so it's just a good reminder that that this is issue still out there. And we need to um, engage and, tr- you know, try to, if you're so called and so led to help, get to your church. I'm sure your church has probably got one of these organizations they part with. Get involved and, of course, uh, be praying. But, you know, we talk about this and these, there's a lot of different reasons. Bill, you kind of mentioned it. We don't want to diminish why people are homeless. And, and sometimes it is just a series of circumstances out of your control and you're doing the best you can with it. And, I don't even know what this homeless woman you're talking you're talking about in your story here today, how she got to be homeless, but the way she responded to someone in need in her community was really cool. What what happened here, Billy? Yeah, so this all started with a three year old little boy named Will Fuller Wright. Him and his mom, Liz, they were out for a bike ride. Again, he's a three year old. He got his first bike. He was super excited, his Spider Man themed bicycle. <laughs> And, you know, they were driving, they went like half a mile on the bike and they saw a store and the mom said, Hey, let's just run in real quick. I'll get you a little treat because you rode so far, leave the bike on the side. You know, the store will come right back out and get it. And when they came out, the bike was gone. Somebody had stolen this little kid's Spider-Man bike. Um, Come on. Oh yeah. It's, it's insane. And so Will obviously is heartbroken and upset. His mother is upset. And, you know, she, she was talking about, look, you know, he's, he's sad. He's disappointed. He's a three-year-old. This is his first bike. And, you know, she's like, I can't understand how anybody would do it. Now, the guy who allegedly took it is caught on camera on his <laughs> own bicycle, leaving with this kid's bike in his hands, right? So the police end up going on online and they post photos and video of this guy taking it, hoping for leads to find this bike, right, for this little kid. And what ends up happening is this unnamed homeless woman uh, who does not want to be named, she doesn't want any credit, she didn't ask for anything in return, she was so moved by by this little kid losing his bike. She lives in her car, by the way, so she doesn't even have a house. She's homeless, obviously. She takes the little money she has, she goes to a Walmart and buys this little kid the bike, again, a helmet, a lock, and all this other stuff, drives to the police station, again, with no money, and delivers all this to the police so they could give it to the kid. That's awesome. I mean, that is it really reminds you of the uh of the woman that Jesus talks about, you know, this woman gave all that she had when she only gave, you know, a penny basically. And, you know, all these rich people were dumping in all this stuff. And he's like, that one gave the most because she gave all she had. It just reminds me of that story so much. So how did, did how did the police respond when they found out about this? Yeah, so the police, obviously, they get this bike, and they're they're shocked. They post an update on Facebook, <clears throat> and they let everybody know 
this woman's circumstance, right? They don't give her name. They honor that. But they say, look, she was recently forced to choose between making her rent or making her vehicle payment, and she didn't want to default on the car loan. So she is unhoused now and living in her Mm. vehicle. Um, And then they talk about the fact that her own struggles did not deter her from selflessly purchasing this bike and the helmet and all that. So they posted it, but they also noted that an organization is collecting money for this woman. And it's so, it's so interesting because she went and bought the bike. And because of that, the police said that a woman working at the store gave her, gave this homeless woman toll money because she heard her story. It just sparked all these other acts of goodness. So people Mm. are now fundraising and we don't know her backstory again. We just know she was in a tough spot. So the police were incredibly moved by this, but I have to mention this woman, what she said, what she told the media, because even though she didn't want to be identified, she was interviewed. You can't see her face. Um, but she said that she saw this story on Facebook, and that's why she took action. And she said, what was this little boy thinking when he came out of the store with his mom and saw his bike missing? I cried. She said, I worried about what that little boy would be growing up and be thinking about the world. And I thought, wow, like what? What? A, here's a woman living in her car, right, destitute on her own, and she's worried about what this stranger, this little kid, is going to think about yeah. the world around him. So just powerful. Yeah, that is really something. Else. I mean, there's a lot of lessons you can take from there, and it's just you could very much be, "Woe is me! Look at me! I'm living in my car," and she's concerned about how this young kid is going to grow up, either jaded or not, and thinking maybe this bike is going to potentially help steer maybe some of the ways he's responding to the world around him potentially in a negative way if it's like ah man everybody just steals stuff everybody's horrible whereas now they're probably going to be like hey this world's not so bad something bad happened something better happened as a result did she now i know she didn't give her name or anything like that but did she they the police obviously have contact with her did she say anything did did she get a response out there to the media after all the reaction came in (laughs) She did. She actually talked with the mom. They had a phone conversation and the mom was pretty blown away by that. And the media asked her, this homeless woman, what would you say to the kid, Will, if you could meet with him in person, which I'm assuming will happen at some point. And she said, I'd probably let him know that no matter what happens in life, we go through our troubles, our ups and downs, but there's always somebody out there watching over us. He's never alone. Mm. Like that's the message she wants to deliver. Again, living in her car, probably feeling the very same thing that she knows she's not alone despite her her struggles well i have a feeling that if there's an organization giving money and that link gets out there this woman's not going to have to be worrying about her rent payments for very long i hope that's the case because that's the sort of thing that you want to see rewarded when someone selflessly reflects the ideals of christ by thinking of others as you would think of yourself and selflessly giving so fantastic job by her yeah you know i think it's cool too with these stories often another angle that i think is cool about this story in particular but it seems to happen with these kinds of stories generally is they spark other acts of kindness right yeah. when someone sees somebody do something really kind-hearted in their community the police then go out of their way to do what they can to make that act of kindness be even stronger than it would have been by you know had that woman just acted by herself and then other community members maybe even churches step up and say well how can we further this and keep this going keep the momentum going yeah. Um, so if for no other reason, if you see an opportunity to do something nice for somebody, do what you can, uh, and then trust that other people around it who will see it, that the Holy Spirit will then prompt them to do other things, uh, to continue that act of kindness. Yeah. It's amazing how great the world can be when we're actually following 
the ideals, like I said, of Christ, you know, thinking of others and for yeah, yourself, for sure. being generous, everything else versus yelling at each other on Twitter all day long. <laughs> I yeah. mean, oh, yeah. this woman yeah. bought a bike, a kid's bike, and did it selflessly with very little resources left and chose to do that. And what a difference she made. More than any tweet probably could. Uh, probably. Definitely could. What am I talking about? So anyway, we're going to move on to the main thing now. And a lot of people these days, they're looking for proof of the gospel. You see that a lot. People trying to trying to prove or disprove whether or not Jesus actually died on the cross and rose again. And as we're reflecting back on this Easter season, Billy sat down with a pastor who tackles some of the toughest questions about Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. That's today's main thing. We sat down with Jesse Bradley, pastor at Grace Community Church in Auburn, Washington, to ask a simple question. Why did Jesus have to die? Here's what he had to say. It's a great question, Billy. And when you think about that question, it points you right to the gospel. The gospel means good news. The Bible says it's of first importance. And there's two parts to the gospel. The first part is that Jesus died for our sins. And the second part is that he's risen from the grave, and both are essential. It's great to have a cross as a symbol, but that's half the gospel, that he died for our sins. Now, when you think, why did he have to die? Well, it's because God is both loving and God is holy. That's simultaneous and continuous. You can't compartmentalize that. His love and his holiness, they come together. And all of us fall short of God's glory. We all sin, rebel in our thoughts, our words, our attitudes, and sin's a big deal. God sets up a system in the Old Testament where animals are sacrificed, but that's a temporary partial covering. Jesus Christ sacrifices once and for all. And it's important that he's both God and human because we're human and sinful. We needed a sinless human, Savior, Messiah, to die in our place. And here's the theological term, substitutionary atonement. It means that we deserve the penalty and the wrath of God, but instead Jesus took our place and we receive a pardon. There's a great exchange. It's also called propitiation, which means his sacrifice sat, it satisfies and pleases the Father. It's sufficient. And listen, if Jesus, it wasn't necessary that he died, the Father would be cruel. But it was absolutely necessary. And if his death was only a partial covering for sin, then the pressure would be on us to complete it. But the truth is, his death was both necessary and sufficient. And because of his sacrifice, we have the fullness of the forgiveness of sins for eternity. And he removes our sin, our guilt, and our shame. And that's why we just want to give him praise and thanks during these couple days and throughout the year. Absolutely. That was beautifully said. You know, it's, it's interesting because the skeptics will then kind of counter and they'll say, well, you know, God, God's God. He's all powerful. He could have just skipped all of that. He didn't need to do it. He didn't need to have this, this death and this resurrection. And you spoke to that again, but I want to just throw it back on that because I, I do think, you know, when we look at God through our own human lens of things and say, well, why doesn't he do it that way? I think there are some problems with that sort of ideology. That's right. God's thoughts and ways are higher than ours. And Jesus himself wrestled with that question in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed just before the cross, and it was three times, Father, is there any other way? And then he submitted to the Father and said, but your will be done. I'll drink the cup of suffering. And it reminds us, not only is sin a big deal, and the wages of sin is death and separation from God, 
but also it reminds us that love includes sacrifice. And when Jesus talks about love, it's not just words, he demonstrates love. And there's no greater demonstration of love than the sacrifice that he brings on the cross. He literally becomes sin for us. And with that substitutionary atonement, we're reminded forever that God loves us. If you're struggling today, well, am I important? Am I significant? Is my life meaningful? Listen, you are so special that Christ has done everything he can to love you, to bring you into an eternal relationship. This love is something that is proven, historical records. And so you don't have to question or doubt it. And it's powerful to consider how much Jesus has done for us and what a gift it is. What makes Christianity different than a lot of other beliefs and worldviews and religions is that this is about grace, an undeserved gift. And that's what Jesus's death is. It's never something we can earn, this peace with God, this forgiveness of sins, but it's a gift we receive. That is a powerful word. You know, it's interesting. There's a new LifeWay uh, survey out and it shows, and it was actually pretty remarkable. And I think there's this is a whole other podcast conversation about um, you know, what, what is going on, a whole other video conversation, what is actually happening in culture. But 66% of U.S. adults said that they actually believe in the truth of the biblical death and resurrection of Christ. So you, I mean, that's crazy to me because you would think, wait, is this a, a Christian population? It's U.S. adults that the majority of them believe that even 58% of young people between the ages, I think, of 18 and 34 said that they believed in the biblical you know, death and resurrection of Christ. And so that's interesting to me, and you can feel free to reflect on that. But I wanted to ask you, as part of that, what is most convincing to you of the resurrection? You know, I was a skeptic. I didn't believe God existed. I went to Dartmouth College. The professor assigned the Bible. I read the Gospel of John, and it led to dozens of questions. What I would say about your statistics is that God wants us to look at the evidence. God has provided historical evidence, and God wants us to love him with all of our mind and our heart. We are intellectual beings, and God doesn't have any topic that he's hoping, oh, we won't ask or look into and we can trust his word as well. The Bible's reliable. You know, when I was kicking the tires of the faith, I wanted to see is the Bible reliable. So how many copies? How accurate are they? How close to the original? These are important to consider. The Bible claims to be the word of God. Not many books do. Those are all things that I was thinking through and processing. Ultimately, it's a faith decision, but you need to look at the evidence. And when it comes to the resurrection, there's a lot of evidence that stands out. Jesus predicted it before it happened, so it's prophecy fulfilled. And then also he appeared to over 500 witnesses. And when you have 500 people telling you something firsthand, that's significant. There was a change in the disciples. They were discouraged, feeling defeated, and then they were courageous. They were willing to die for their faith, and 11 out of the 12 did die. No one's going to die for a lie if you know it's a lie, and they died. Not only that, we have recorded scripture. The Holy Spirit convicts us. We have the stories of the generations. Uh, all of these things, when you put it together, and we can go into more depth as well, there's also outside extra-biblical sources, historians that talk about Jesus' life, his death, you know, his resurrection, the early church. And so all of this evidence, it's not something to ignore because it's all linked to the most important thing in life, a relationship with God, the satisfaction of your soul, and you are designed, your heart is restless until you know your maker. You're, then you're going to find rest and peace. Blaise Pascal said there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man and woman. And with that vacuum, only Jesus Christ can fulfill that void. And 
that's my story. When I came to know Jesus, the joy, uh, the assurance of eternal life, the, the new song, the new life that he brings, no one can take that away. No one can separate you from the love of Christ. And so no matter how difficult things get in your life personally or in our nation, go to Jesus. You can thank him. You can walk with him, abide with him, bear much fruit. God will renew your mind. The resurrection power, it's not just a past event. The power continues in us today, and it's going to be for eternity. Listen, if there's no resurrection, there's no Christian faith. So our faith is solid on the facts. Our feelings go up and down, but the facts of the resurrection, you can't change it. All right, Billy, thanks so much for that conversation there. And it's it's a great, look, it's a great time. Christians, I'm sure you guys had the same sort of vibe at your churches as well, where it's kind of, you're focused on, you know, you're getting a lot of visitors on Easter weekend, right? So the message is just very much like bringing that gospel message and people are going to have questions. They, they want to know about this whole story because when you, you know, when you look at it, it does seem it's insane. Like, wait a minute, this guy died. He rose again. But you know, when your eyes are opened, it just makes sense. It clicks. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's it's a great starting point, I think, yeah. for so many people who maybe are familiar with Christianity or even people who aren't at all to really get a, 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 a quick, you know, like crash course in what is the gospel and what does it mean. And then it's important that we as Christians continue to follow up with those people, right? Get them plugged into a church so that they can be discipled. All right. Well, appreciate that again, Billy. And uh, we're going to go. We have time now for one last thing. Yeah, so actually it kind of fits perfectly with the the Easter story of of knowing who Jesus was or is, what he did for us, and how it should change us outwardly. We're going to look at Ephesians 5, 8. It says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. That's fantastic. And the truth, you know, and a great spot to leave it here on this Tuesday, mini Monday edition of the podcast. As always, don't forget to get on over to cbnnews.com, faithwire.com. We've got lots of news happening over there, all the latest stuff there. You can check it out. And um, also the CBN News YouTube channel as well. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't. And Lord willing, that creek don't rise. We'll be back here tomorrow with more of the same. God bless. See you then.